Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And I just froze. I felt this person read what I was writing and it probably lasted about... I don't know, five to ten seconds, then the feeling disappeared, it was gone. I turned around and nobody was there. And I've gone, one of my colleagues has come back to scare me. So I searched the entire station upstairs and downstairs and there was nobody there. You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm a journalist and the author of Spirit Sisters and other books full of true stories of the paranormal. Quick reminder that Spirit Sisters has been re-released in a 10th anniversary edition so that a new audience can read the book that launched me on this path exploring real-life mysteries and marvels. Now I share these stories through my podcasts, Spirit Sisters and this show, of course, The Ghost Files. I'm always so thrilled to receive your feedback, so if you love The Ghost Files, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app. My guest today is Virginia, a former police officer who specialised in search and rescue operations, who today is living a quieter life as a music teacher in Canberra. Virginia was my guest on the podcast last October when she came on the show to share many wonderful stories of paranormal phenomena she's experienced over the years, from powerful premonitions about the imminent deaths of loved ones and even celebrities, right through to comforting apparitions of those she has loved and lost. If you haven't listened to that very moving episode, you might want to scroll back and tune in. When I spoke to Virginia last year, she revealed that she'd also experienced a lot of spooky goings-on in a number of the police stations that she's worked in over the years. But we didn't have time to explore those stories that day. Instead, we planned for Virginia to come back on the show to share those encounters. Here is return guest Virginia to tell us all about Australia's most haunted police stations. Welcome back to The Ghost Files, Virginia. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. It is really nice to have you back. We first spoke to you in October last year, believe it or not, when um, you shared a few astounding stories from your spiritual life. And what we didn't have time to discuss that day were your encounters in haunted police stations. So I'm so excited that you could join us again today, Virginia, to share those. I'm very excited to tell you the stories, yes. (laughs) Now, um, another interesting thing was that I had a listener actually email me to say that this was her special request, that that I honour that, that that intention to get you back on the show. So for that listener, I hope you're happy here. We've got the lovely Virginia back to tell us all about it. That's very exciting. I'm so glad that somebody remembered... um, the fact that I had more stories about the haunted police station. So the fact that somebody's asked for them just yeah. makes me feel a little bit excited. 
That is great. Now, before we get started, please tell us a little bit about your life in the police force, what your work was, what inspired you maybe to become a policewoman as well? So I joined the police force when I was 21 and the main reason was I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to help people um, and I wanted people to know that Coppers out there are good people um, and that we're there to help. So that was my main reason for joining because I wanted to help people when they needed it the most. Um, Mm. The other reason why I joined is because I'm not a nine-to-five person and I'm not an indoor person and I need variety in my life. So they were the main two reasons because uh, as you can imagine, being a police officer, you walk into, the, well, you walk out of your house that morning or that afternoon or that night shift, and you have no idea what you're going to encounter. Um, and being in the rescue squad as well, I would leave home not knowing if I was going to come home that night or a week later, because often I'd get sent away for searches or different types of jobs. So, They were the main two reasons why I joined. And so you mentioned search and rescue. So tell us about your work. Like what did that involve? Is that kind of, you know, what we see on the news, like you would, you know, be hanging out of a helicopter, that kind of thing? That kind of thing, yeah. Um, So I was general duties, which is the um, nuts and bolts of policing where we go to everything from... um, car accidents, lost properties, domestics, all the way up to, you know, missing persons, murders, arson, anything in between. With the rescue squad, so I joined the rescue squad three years after I joined the police, um, and the rescue squad is a specialised unit that deals with searches, missing people, Um, persons trapped, uh, recovering people from um, cliffs, as you said, hanging out of helicopters. Um, So they're big jobs and, we again, we can do anything from any of that to just getting into a house to get the general duties police in so they can, you know, look for missing persons or um, anything like that. I remember one job in Sydney. We um, got called to a house in Sydney and it was the police couldn't get in. It was Fort Knox. There were bars on the windows. So we and the uh, gentleman who lived there was an elderly gentleman. He hadn't been seen for five days, so his neighbours were quite concerned because the general duties police couldn't get in, we got called in and I had to cut the bar on the window to gain access into the house and it was so lucky that we did because he was quite ill laying on bed, laying on his bed and if you know we waited another day um he would have he would have died. So mm. we did yeah, those sorts of jobs as well. Well, it's very important work, Virginia, and, um, yeah. 
What um, what made you actually step away from the career? Um, I've believe it or not, I've had three car accidents, and as a result of those car accidents, I have acquired quite a significant injury um, to the point where I'm now disabled um, and not being able to chase somebody if I needed to. That was the main reason why I was um, suggested that I leave the police force. So it wasn't my choice. I was discharged medically unfit due to this um, injury that I have. Okay, I see. And thank you for explaining that. So so now let's get into your stories. So tell us, please, about, as you said, you were 21 years old when you, when you entered the force. Tell us about the first unsettling moments in a police station that you experienced. And I think it was a station in somewhere in southern Sydney. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Yep. So I'd worked in this station for a few months. So what happened was all of the smaller stations amalgamated to the biggest station in the area and it was called a super station and we were then sent off to the little stations to work out of those stations for the day, for the shift. So I'd been sent to this station a few times and like every time I'd go to work there was a door in between the charge room and our meal room and the cells. So the door to the cells, there was kind of like three doors together. So the doors to the cells, I used to get a funny feeling from these cells. So whenever I'd walk past the door, I'd close it, go into the meal room, come back out, the door would be open. And I'd look at it and go, I swear I shut that door. You know, I would shut it again. Two hours later, I'd have to go into the charge room to do something. The door would be opened. I was the only one in the police station. This happened a few times and I was talking to a mate of mine. Um, we were talking about this station and I said, does anyone else get some really weird idea, like feelings from this station? And they go, yeah. And someone else said, has anyone ever shut the door and then found it open again? I said, yes, that happens to me all the time. So we kind of had a bit of a laugh and one of the guys said it was really weird because they had found a puppy um, on a night shift and they couldn't find anybody to take the puppy, like all the rangers were asleep. So they brought the puppy back to the station and they thought they would put the puppy in one of the cells to sleep. So they've gone into one cell. He said the puppy was asleep in his arms. When they walked into the cell, the puppy woke up, the hackle, the hair on the hackles of his back stood up, his legs just stretched right out and he started howling. And this puppy would have been about 12 or 14 weeks old, a very small puppy. So the police officer Poor thought, oh. Thing. I wonder what he saw. Yeah, I don't know. But they've walked out, walked into another cell, fine, the puppy was fine. So they made a little bed for him. He said, puppy curled up, went to sleep, no drama at all. And we all went, oh, that's weird. He goes, it really made the hair on my arm stand up. I went, right, okay, that's that's odd. A couple of months later, 
It was three o'clock in the morning. I was working a night shift. I was in the station on my own. Um, I was typing away, typing a report, and the next minute I feel that somebody is standing behind me. The hair, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up, the hair on my arms stood up, and I just froze. And do you know when you've got somebody behind you and you can feel that they're reading what you're writing? Oh, yeah, that's a very distinctive feeling, isn't it? It's very particular. It is, yep. So I was doing that and I just froze. I felt this person read what I was writing and it probably lasted about, I don't know, five to ten seconds. Then the feeling disappeared, was gone. I turned around and nobody was there. And I've gone, one of my colleagues has come back to scare me. So I searched the entire station upstairs and downstairs and there was nobody there. I went, right, okay, this is um, quite spooky. Quite spooky. And so what stage of your career were you at then? Um, I was, I'd been in the job four years. Four years, you did say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just trying to get a sense of your age because I know that you've experienced spiritual strange things all your life. So I'm wondering if you you thought about, you know, what you've experienced so far and whether this is, again, you're about to see something. I'm just wondering how you put those pieces together. Yeah, it's quite funny because it never seems to click until a couple of months later that all of these things gelled together um, because that was the, the only incident I had. There was another time where... I had to go into the cells because our miscellaneous property room was at the back of the cells and outside. And I did not like going in there. For some unknown reason, it just really spooked me. This one day I had to take, we had a gun amnesty at the time, and I had to take a load of guns into the miscellaneous property room. So I'm walking down, you know, big tough policewoman in uniform with my appointments belt on my hips, carrying all these guns, get into the miscellaneous property room, put them away. I've walked out of the room, shut the door, and for some, I don't know what it was, but something scared the absolute crap out of me. I did not see anything. I did not hear anything. I just felt something. I could not shut that door fast enough and I sprinted as fast as I could up that ramp, out the door, slammed the door behind me and rested against it and went, what the hell was that? (laughs) To this day, I don't know what it was. So, and that's still the same first police station in southern Sydney that we're talking about? the same one, yep. Yeah. There were three incidents and the last incident was... And I've worked out it's the same cell as the puppy was in. Okay. I, one day was, I was quiet, so I thought I'd just have a look around the station and thought I'd go in and have a look at the, these cells. So I'd walked into the cells and two cells were just storage. The third cell had a gym in it. So I checked the other two out. There's nothing interesting in there. thought I'd go in to check the gym equipment and... I've gone to walk through the door and something stopped me. I 
don't know what it was. There was nothing physical in front of me, but I could not walk through the threshold of the door. Wow. So how how did you or how do you reflect on something like that? Like do you think that as a psychic person you were picking up on the energy of highly charged moments which we can speculate took place in there, in the cell or in another region of the, the station? But Or do you think it was an actual spirit visitor? I think it's a bit of both because I later found out that um, unfortunately a prisoner had committed suicide in that cell and it was Uh kind of like the spirit was saying, you know what, I don't want you in there. Hmm. Yeah. And and so then that's that is quite sad because then that leads us to think that this spirit person has not found peace. It's not gone on to the light that for some reason it is lingering there at the site of its of its last moments. Yeah. Which is quite sad because it is very no, sad. Yeah. 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 So after that I used to talk to him. Okay. Yeah, I used to just talk to him, acknowledge him, let him know I was there. Um, And I didn't feel anything else after that. The door still kept opening. Um, But after those three incidents and after I started acknowledging him and letting him know that I was there and um, I wasn't there to do him any harm, I was just there to work and I was not a threat, he was okay. That's really good because that was going to be my next question because obviously you are someone with, you know, more highly attuned psychic skills. So I was wondering if perhaps then you did suggest to the spirit that, you know, that it's okay, that it could move on and it sounds like you did help him. I think so. I hope so. I'd like to think that I was Um, of some help to him. Um, the other interesting thing of, of what you've shared is that, you know, we, we do think of police, you know, police staff members as perhaps being more closed off to the, this kind of conversation, but it sounds like with you and your colleagues there talking about it, everyone, everyone was talking quite openly about what that experience, which I do find interesting. Yes. So there's, there's kind of a big divide. You've got the police who don't believe and who think the rest of us are all crazy. And you've got the police who do believe and who have experienced um, spirit in different stations, Um, and we're all quite open to discuss what we've experienced and what we've seen and what we've felt, whereas the others kind of look at us and go, yeah, you guys are idiots. Mm. (laughs) Um, But it's, it's not someone... I've never come across someone who goes, well, I don't know, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. They're either, yes, they do believe or no, they don't believe. And I guess along those lines is the interesting point that it is quite well known that police do use the services of psychics and mediums from time to time. And this is this is known, but it's not openly acknowledged, is it? And no, you'll it's never not. get a police officer confirming it either. No, exactly right. That is exactly right. 
but in your experience, did you were you ever um, privy to knowing that the, that the services of a, of a medium or psychic were being used? There was a job that I was involved in, um, where the use of psychics were utilised, mm. um, and it was quite interesting because it was quite a well known. It was a very um, well-known incident. It was in the media for weeks and weeks. So a lot of psychics approached the police and gave information. So I don't know if the police in charge actually had someone that they were working with specifically or whether the psychics rang the police um, unsolicited Mm -hmm. but I do know that the information was given um, because I took a few phone calls myself and again you had the police who went oh these guys are crazy they don't know what they're talking about and I'd go well you know what some of them might and then you've got the other people who would be with me going well you know sometimes um, they do know what they're talking about but yes. in relation to working with psychics one-on-one at a job, I have never had that experience myself. But I have okay. worked in jobs where they have been used. Wow. Okay. That's really interesting. I just find it always so intriguing that, it, you know, there's that disparity between accepting the services and the and the information and, you know, exploring it. and outright denying that it's there or just keeping you know keeping mum on it at least (laughs) exactly yes yeah wow okay so so that was that they're the three experiences that sum up your time at that police station in southern Sydney but you did go on to experience unusual events at um at two other police stations that you worked in sort of south of New South Wales around the Snowy Mountains region tell us please Virginia, what happened in these moments? So I decided it was time to leave Sydney and I chose southern New South Wales, the Snowy Mountains region, because there was a rescue squad here. Um, And being part of the rescue squad and having worked at the rescue squad in Sydney, I I loved that part of the job and I wanted to keep that going and learn more skills. So I got transferred down here and I worked at a station where I never saw anything but strange things would occur. One day um, in a police station you've got somebody called a GSO, which is a general support officer, and they're a civilian that you know, helps the police, works in the station, answers phones, takes um, station inquiries, uh, and then if a police officer needs to do the job, they'll call somebody in. So the GSO and I were sitting in the meal room one day. It was Melbourne Cup Day, and the meal room was kind of a long, wide room. So the dining table went right down the middle of it and 
Opposite the entrance into the meal room was a doorway into a meeting room. The door was quite an old door and it had one of those really old door handles. You know, the real chunky bases with the round knobs and they're, you know, the ones and they're quite loose. They're Oh, yes, yes, I do. Yeah, I can picture it. Can picture it, yeah. So I was sitting in front of that door. The GSO was sitting on the opposite side of me with her back to the main entrance into the meal room. And the TV was on. I was having my lunch. She was having her lunch. And we're just chatting away, minding our own business. This door to the meeting room was closed and it was closed shut. The next minute we hear a click. So it was one of those doors that when you opened it, it actually clicked. And when you shut it, you had to push it and it clicked shut. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like a locking mechanism. It was just if you didn't hear that click, the door would open uh, by itself. But yep. we knew that the door was shut because we heard the click. So we heard the click. The door then opened with a squeak, kind of went, which is what you hear in haunted houses and you kind of think, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was sitting right in front of this door. I looked at the GSO and I said, I didn't think anyone was in there. She said, no, neither did I. So I've turned around the door. Meanwhile, the door is opening and it stopped in line with me and nobody walked out. And I looked at her and I said, that door was shut. She said it was because you heard the click when it opened. I said, yes. I said, maybe someone's in there. So I got up and walked into the room. Nobody was in the room. And (laughs) I looked at her and I said, did I just see that or was that my imagination? She said, no, no, that you saw that. She said, but you do realise this station is haunted. And I went, I didn't, but that makes sense because I have, I used to have problems going into one of the cells to Put my firearm away it used to just really spook me I, like not scared I just didn't like doing it and I'd never had any issues any other station this one particular station I just did not like doing it and this one day this door was shut and it opened by itself and again and, it's it's phenomena to do with doors like at the other place as well Yes, and every incident I've had at this station had to do with doors because there was another night we were finishing a night shift. It was myself and two other police officers, both males, I might add. It is five to four in the morning and we're sitting around waiting for our shift to end. Our shift ended at four o'clock and we were exhausted. We were tired. We just wanted to go home. Everybody had left the station We were counting down the minutes to 4am when all of a sudden we heard a screen door open, a door shut, and then nothing else. And the three of us all looked at each other and went and said, I thought the Highway Patrol went home. One of the guys said, yeah, they went home at two. So I called out, hello, is anybody there? There was no answer. So I looked at one of the I looked at the boys and said, "Who's going to go and check?" <laughs> <laughs> Good they question. Both, 
<laughs> and they both looked at me and went, I'm not going to check. The other one went, I'm not going to check. I went, seriously? Oh, my Two gosh, big, funny. tough coppers and you're not going to go and check? They've gotten up. So I got up. I walked to the back of the station, which was, oh, so there was, just trying to remember it, about 20, 25 metres between where we were and where the, the back door was. Okay. So I walked out there. All the doors, all the lights were out, all the doors were shut and locked and the door that we heard and the station had one of those big solid metal doors that you needed to use all your force to open. Oh, okay. That was shut and locked and it was that door that we heard because it had a specific sound to it. You kind of know which doors are being opened in these old stations you knew, Um, and it was locked, it was shut, nobody was there. So I walked back out. A few witnesses had heard it, yeah. Exactly, yep. I walked back out and they've gone, who's there? I said, no one. And they've gone, don't don't kid around, Virginia. I said, nobody's there. They went, are all the highway cars there? I said, all the highway cars are there, all the lights are turned off. I said, no one's there. And they've gone, right. We know it's not four o'clock, but we're going home. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> and we all left. We're like, we're not staying in here. A few so days, yeah. A few oh, days sorry. later, sorry. A few days later, one of the guys that I was working with that night, he and I were working an afternoon shift. And again, we were the only two in the station. It was the end of the shift, and so this time we had to wait till midnight. Um, it was quiet. I think it was the middle of winter. It was nobody was around. So at about five to twelve, he said to me, "Oh, why don't you go home and um, I'll just lock up." I've gone. Are you sure? He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Off you go. He goes, "We've only got five ten minutes. So if anything happens, I'll ring you. Um, but I doubt anything's going to happen." I said, "Okay, if you're sure." He goes, "Hundred percent." Off you go. So I drove home. And, you know, went to bed, no dramas. The next day we were both working an afternoon shift again. (laughs) I came in and he looked at me and he said, were your ears ringing last night when you got home? I said, what what are you talking about? He said, after you left, so we had the station was, you walked into the door, you were in the station, there was a wall behind the main station area Behind that wall was a hallway into a door into the male toilets. And, again, it was one of those heavy, you know, fire doors. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, he was sitting in the station area waiting for midnight and he heard the male toilet door open and close, like slam shut. And he thought, that cow has come back to scare me. Like after Sunday night, she's come back to scare me. I'll get her. So he said it must have been so funny to watch because he's crouched down, running around the other side, hiding behind the wall, ready to jump out and scare me and nobody was there. So he's gone, oh, she's gone into the toilet. I'll get her. So, again, he's run to the door, opened the door, jumped in and went, ha-ha, and nobody was there. And he thought, oh, my gosh, this is 
freaking me out. So, again, he, like, I don't even think he put the alarm on. He just slammed the station door shut and ran out. He said, you, he said I must apologise because I was swearing and calling you names because I thought you'd come back to scare me. He said, and nobody was there. He said, so I apologise for calling your names. <laughs> I went, no, I was in bed. He goes, I thought you'd come back to scare me after what we saw on Saturday night. Yeah. Right. He goes, so this station is haunted. I said, I've been trying to tell you that for years, but you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> it's a very unsettling what he went through. But I think something that strikes me as you're sharing that story is that it does have something in common with the other experience in that it was almost the end of the shift. Yes. And something happens. It's all, There's almost like a mischievous quality to it, you know. It's like something or someone from the past is, you know, wanting to ruffle some feathers at the time when everybody wants to go home, you know. It's a exactly. little bit Yeah, yeah. Just probably leaving us with a lasting thought. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And we're still talking about it years later, so it worked. <laughs> exactly right. Yes. Okay, yeah. so that was that one. And um I think Virginia, there was another station in that region that you also had some experiences in. Yes, there was. Um so again, we we had a, a main station and if one of the outstations um, weren't manned, then one of us would get sent down there for the shift. So I got sent down, and this station is on the border. Um, so I got sent down there one day to work a day shift, and I was there again on my own, working away, and I was in the meal room uh, having my lunch, and I heard footsteps in the hallway and then walk into the female toilets. And I thought, oh, that's odd. Um, Nobody should be in here. So I've come up, well, like I've walked out of the room, said hello, no answer, and I've checked the entire station and nobody was there. And I thought, okay, all right, here we go again. (laughs) That was the only thing I heard that day. But that afternoon, the afternoon shift guy came on And I said to him, do you ever hear footsteps in this station? And he went, ah, did you meet Stanley? And I went, okay, um, maybe. I said, I heard footsteps walk from the charge room across the hallway into the ladies' toilets. He said, yes, that's Stanley. He said one day he was working... um, And again, he was in the mill room making his lunch when he heard screaming, footsteps, but running footsteps, a door slam, more screaming, and then silence. So he's run into the charge room to see what was going on. He said, and there was nobody there. So he's gone into the room where he heard the door slam, and again, there was nothing there. So he was quite confused by this and he searched the entire station and he thought to himself, I know what I heard, there was somebody in here. Then he remembered the uh, CCTV footage of the charge room. So he thought, okay, I'm going to check that CCTV footage and see who ran through the station, through the charge room. So he's 
rewound it, played the part, the time where he heard the footsteps. So before the time he heard the footsteps, the charge room was recording nicely. He could see the charge room. There was nobody there. Then at the time where he heard the screaming and the running footsteps, the charge room tape just went to static. It lasted for five, ten seconds for as long as he heard the yelling and the footsteps and then the static ended and it went back to the normal recording of the charge room and nobody in there. So then, yeah, he then did some research and found that um, police officer named Stanley was um, killed by a prisoner in the charge room and there was a scuffle yelling and screaming footsteps and I think he was I think Stanley was stabbed um, in the station and that's what he heard and he's again he said it scared him so much that he left his meal he shut the station up and just went out and he knew he had to go back but he didn't want to go back but then he kind of did the same thing acknowledged Stanley um and he said Stanley would do, play a few tricks on him, like move things about, but he never heard the footsteps, that ruckus again, just that one time. But the fact That's that like the charge that. room recording went to static oh, really freaked him. I bet. And it is like he heard the reenactment of Stanley's final moments. Yes. Poor man. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And did he have an idea how long ago Stanley lived? I think it was in the 1930s. Okay. And so that was going to be my other question. Were these buildings generally quite old buildings? They're very old buildings. Okay. Yes. Um, Some of them are early 1900s, late 1800s. They're so old that you know how the in the old homes the walls used to be you know, um, 30 to 40 centimetres thick? Yes. And you had the win- Yes, and you had the windows kind of set in. That's how old they are. So the walls are so thick um, and, yeah, they're really hard to keep warm. They're... Mm. The windows are temperamental. Um, yeah, a lot of these buildings are extremely old. And uh, thinking about the stations in the Snowy Mountains in particular on a cold winter's night in the middle of the night, you're talking about quite an atmospheric kind of situation right there, even without the ghosts. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Well, wow, Yeah, go on. Sorry, I've on. spoken to other police officers who have shared their stories of um, police hauntings. Sorry, I thought I'd put my dog outside and she's come in to bark. <laughs> come in to have a chat. She has come in to have a chat. Sorry about that. Um, she saw a ghost as well, which is another story, but I think today's the second year anniversary of my father's passing. Is it really, Virginia? It is, oh yeah, goodness. yeah. And um, I think two weeks after he passed away, she saw him on two separate occasions because she 
was acted so strange and she was she wasn't looking at me she was looking at it was as if she was looking at somebody sitting next to me and when I called her to me instead of coming straight to me she walked the perimeter of the room up against the wall and came to me that way so kind of yeah walked the perimeter of the wall so she didn't have to walk towards me and to past whatever she was seeing that I wasn't seeing. Well, animals are very, you know, naturally instinctive to pick these these invisible visitors up. So, yes. yeah, so I'm not surprised to hear that at yeah. all. That um, And, yeah, probably there's a whole episode on what um, animals can see and what, you know, animal stories people have, pet stories. Yeah. Pet stories, so yeah. That, yeah. That's something to look into. And so... Thank you so much for sharing all of those. They're fascinating stories and I'm so glad we got you back on the show to share those. Thank you for allowing me to share them because I, I think they're amazing stories um, and I would love to write a book about haunted police stations. I think um, there would be so many stories, it's, you wouldn't be able to fit them all in one book. I bet. And once you get the police talking, that's when you get them. And because you are a former police officer and you've got all those contacts, it could certainly be something that you do encourage your former colleagues to talk about. You know, you, yeah. you're, you've got more chance than others of getting them to talk, I would yes. I would wager. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I would wow. think with all the police stations in the state, there would be thousands of stories because I'm sure I'm not the only one. And the people who I've spoken to, we're not the only ones who have experienced these um, incidents, yeah. these spirit visits um, in police stations. Well, please do keep me posted on your book. I encourage you to write it down and, you know, I wish you the best of luck with that. I'm sure that all of our listeners will be interested to read your book if and when you get it out there, Virginia. Thank you. I Thank you. That's giving me courage to follow it up. Good stuff. <laughs> now, just to end our conversation, taking into consideration your lifetime of spiritual experiences, you know, from your understanding of how our loved ones in spirit continue to support us right through to your experiences in the haunted police stations that you've worked in, what do you think an encounter with the dead can teach us about living I think what it teaches us is that we're never alone and that even though they're gone in the physical form, they're still with us in the spirit form and their love continues. So even though it's not physical anymore, the spiritual love continues that's a wonderful message to end on and especially given the anniversary today of your dad's passing. So thinking yeah. of you today, Virginia, and very grateful for your time with us today on The Ghost Files. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you love The Ghost Files, leave us a five-star rating, write a review and tell a friend.
Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.